read a funny joke the other day because uh, today we're going to be talking about elephants in the room. Anybody like to have elephants in your room? Read this joke the other day because my friend bought me an elephant for my room and I said thanks and he said don't mention that. Some of you guys it will be about midway through the sermon with that side so you'll start laughing out loud so we don't talk about elephants. We get it. We get it. You guys want one more? So you can that says, what rhymes with orange? He says, no, it doesn't. Come on, guys. Do I have to, like, serve it to you and I'm going to say or something? That's funny stuff, man. That's funny. Okay, it's a little corny, but it's funny. Today we continue our series. We've been in this series looking at John chapter, the Gospel of John chapter 13 through 17. I thought this the last one. This is Jesus with his disciples right before he is to be arrested and crucified. We are um, in this Lent season. That was one of the reasons why I felt very strongly to do this series. Um, it's going to lead us up to Easter, um, the glorious uh, resurrection of Christ where he defeats death. And that is good news to all of us. Um, but we, we have been looking specifically at the Gospel of John, these chapters, um, and, and what Jesus is saying to his followers and the, the, the emphasis that he has before he would die. And ultimately, we know the good news that he would be raised from the dead, he would actually be with them again. But what are, what are the things he's saying before he would die? What are the things that he's speaking to us as well? He's preparing these guys to be the church. They are, you know, ultimately they are going to, after Jesus rose from the dead, then he ascends the Father, they go to the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes, and he is preparing them to be the church, preparing us, what does it mean to be the church, and he washes their feet, he serves them, he's showing them radical serving, he's talking about radical love, loving people, and loving each other to prove to the world that we are his disciples. And so, um, again, you can, you can look at some of these sermons online if you like to follow up with that, or, or you can go to CDs, whatever. But today we're going to pick up where we look, but where we left off, rather looking at the Jesus promise of Israel. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? John 14 last week, that was one part in, 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 in this time with the disciples, that was one part where we talked about the Holy Spirit the end of John 15, and then today we're going to be looking at John 16 and what he said of the Holy Spirit, what Jesus said, the promise of his coming, who the Holy Spirit is, what does he do, why does he do his person, his work, his presence, what, what he would do, and specifically today, I'm going to look at his work in and through us as believers, as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to focus in on that. His work in us, His work through us. First of all, who's the Holy Spirit? We weren't here last week. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Triune God. You hear the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all equally God. They work cohesively together. They are, it's God manifest three and three persons. And one and three, three and one, again, there's a mystery behind it. Um, we see all throughout the scriptures that the times the Father and speaking. Of course, we know Jesus in the Gospels, and we see the work of the Holy Spirit. And so they don't work apart from one another. They are they are cohesive in unity, in purpose, and mission. And and he is to be worshipped and prayed to. Some people understand that praising and worshiping God or talking to Jesus. We should be talking to the Holy Spirit. 
Um, last week we talked about he, he gives us power, he gives us strength to become more like Jesus. And so we should make that a part of our prayer life is to talk to the Holy Spirit. Last week, again, from John 14 and 15, Jesus called him our advocate. He is one who pleads on behalf of us. Jesus called him the Spirit of Truth, our Helper, the one who will be with us forever, the one who will teach you. Jesus said he will teach you everything and remind you of what I told you. So he will teach us what Jesus has taught us from the Scripture. He's the one who is historic and man. Jesus said, my, I leave you with a gift and my gift of peace. It's not peace like the world gives, but I give you peace. So you don't have to be afraid. And he said, he will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. And that's what Jesus said, he will testify about me. So we are going to look at uh, John 16. Again, if you want to open your Bible, you can. The, the, the passage will be up on the screen. I told you this before, if you know someone needs a Bible, um, the Bible's in your chair right in front of you. If you know somebody needs a Bible, take one of those and get it to them. Or if you need one, feel free to take that. Um, we want people to have uh, a Bible um, in their in hands. So, just in context, let me, let me talk a little bit about before we get into our, um, our text today, because we're going to be John 16, verse 5. In the context... At the beginning of John 16, Jesus said, I told you these things so you won't abandon your faith. And that's what he's talking to them about. In other words, he's saying you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be kicked out of synagogues, that's another thing he said, you're going to face hardship and hatred because of me. So Jesus is talking about the reality of them, is that they're not going to like you very much. The, 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 the religious people of the day are rejecting Christ and rejecting that he's the Messiah. And so he tells his disciples, he said, the reason why I'm telling you all this, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. He is going to be one that's going to help you in times of trouble because you will be persecuted. And you need to take heart. And he said this in different times. Remember at the beginning of John 14 when he's talking about that I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't leave your hearts be troubled. Several times he talks about them talk to them about taking heart, not to lose heart. But he's saying persecution is going to be normal. And they were going to need, and again, they were going to need these words later. And then also in the, in the, in, in the bulk of John 15, where he talks about remaining in my love, we're going to get into that next week. And so we do that through the work and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at John 16, starting with verse 5. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. He's getting ready to go away. And, and, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I told you. And it's natural that they're grieving. They keep talking about leaving. And, you know, you think of the disciples' perspective. They've been hanging out with him. They've been with him. They've seen him teaching. And, and, and they've seen his power and his authority. And, and, and they, they like that he's there. They like being on his team. And, and he said, you know, you're grieving for what I told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. That's, again, he's, he's giving a list. Jesus is talking about things that the Holy Spirit will do. He's going to convict the world of its sin. And when you said yes to Christ, what you did is you respond. Your response was to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the conviction power of God at work that He's drawing us to Jesus. And it says that He will 
uh, convictable of sin, God's righteousness, and the common judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in you. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Talking about the enemy of our souls. But he's done his story me. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. And then he goes on to again describe more of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of Truth comes, again he calls him the Spirit of Truth. Who's the truth? Who's the truth? Jesus by John 14. So he's tying all this together. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all what? Truth. It's very important. He's going to guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. And he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you what he has heard. He will, by telling you whatever he received from me. All that belongs to the Father's mind, this is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he received from me. Again, right there you see the Trinity, God, Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, cohesively working together. The Spirit doesn't even speak on his own behalf. He doesn't do anything outside of what God and Jesus are doing. He's not, he's not the rogue member of the Trinity doing whatever he feels like doing. He said, no, we all work together. He doesn't speak. He only says what, I, what he receives from me. And again, they were, so they were grieving because he was grieving and talking about persecution. He said, it's good that I go away. Why would it be good that he goes away? It's because now the Holy Spirit would come in his fullness. And we see that happen in Acts 2. When Jesus ascends, and it was all part of the master plan of God that, that, that Jesus would rise from the dead, he would ascend to the Father, through the Holy Spirit, and it's full of the Spirit of Christ that would dwell within believers. And that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't here before. He was in the Old Testament. We saw his work. I talked about that last week. And so Jesus continues to prescription and work in the ways of the Holy Spirit, convicted sin. You hear that? The, the enemy condemns the Holy Spirit and lovingly convicts. That's the difference. When you're, feeling, when you're feeling condemned and shameful to a point of sinfulness of your sins, it doesn't help you get better. The enemy comes at you, condemns you, he will rail you for your past, he will always bring your past up, you are good for nothing, you will never make it. Those are condemning words of the enemy. The Holy Spirit comes in his loving conviction. He challenges you, yes, I have a better plan for you, and I'm calling you away from sinfulness because I have a plan. God has a plan for you. That's the difference. The condemnation of the enemy, loving conviction of the Holy Spirit, we should embrace God's conviction and His correction. Because He wants to be in the right relationship with us. Isn't that good news? And He doesn't want us to just perpetually live a lifestyle of sin and just live out there somewhere. He, he's drawing us to Himself, and that's why He convicts us, He challenges us. In verse 13, again, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of His own, but He will tell you what He has heard. Verse 14, he will bring me glory. So he's going to testify to you. He's going to bring Jesus glory. He's going to tell you whatever he receives from me. So it's important here again to understand the Holy Spirit is in complete, complete unity with Jesus and the Father. He's going to guide us into truth. He's going to guide us into the, the, the truth of Jesus. And Jesus said, man, the truth. He's going to testify to Christ. He's going to, he's, he's going to bring Christ to us. He's ultimately making us more like Jesus. So the truth is who Jesus is. His ways, his teachings revealed through Scripture. 
So he doesn't speak in his own, but he tells us what he received from Jesus to the glory of Jesus. We're all created to bring glory to Christ. And so his work in us, to us, and through us is all to bring glory to Jesus. Let me say that again. The work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, all of it is to bring glory to Jesus. That's why we're here. We're, we're created to relate to the God. But anything that happens, that's why, whether it's good or bad, or if it's a hard season, if it's a blessed season, that's why Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things, is because ultimately it all can bring glory to Jesus. Jesus can be seen if I'm, if I'm having a, a good day. He can also be seen if I'm having a bad day. Especially when I continue to fix my eyes on him. And so he won't contradict Jesus in the truth of who he is. He is truth. And the truth isn't relative. The truth isn't relative to what we might define it to be. And again, that's why we must adhere to sound doctrine. I'm going to look at that passage. You've heard me say this over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to, I'm going to look at this passage real quick um, from Paul to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4. I want you to hear what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy had, had become pastor of the church in, in Ephesus. Remember, Paul planted these churches, and Timothy is this young pastor. So we, we have in the, in, in the letters of 1 and 2 Timothy really how we're supposed to do church and, and, and just guidelines of doing church. And, and so here's what Paul is saying to this pastor, uh, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, he said, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. In other words, it's very important. I'm charging you with something. Preach the word. Now I could just stop right there, right? What is he saying? Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. You know how, as a, as a believer, you know how we can be ready in season and out of season? Because the Word is timeless. And if we're, if we're walking in the Word, we're hiding the Word in our hearts, we always will have something for someone because the Word speaks into everything. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So he's telling this young pastor, correct, a part of the passage out. We get to correct, we get to rebuke sometimes, we get to encourage sometimes. How do we do that? Not by my own experience or emotion. It is through the Word of God. The place that He's trying to preach the Word, you correct by preaching the Word. You encourage by preaching the Word. With great patience and careful instruction. Listen to what He says here. This is a sober warning. Now, I want you to understand, He's not talking about the world here, He's talking about the truth. But the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They will not put up with sound doctrine. That's the scripture. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from what? See the tie with what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit testifying to the truth? And so what are people going to do? There's coming a time when they will set up teachers. They're going to tell, tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to what? Myths and fables. That's why we need sound doctrine. Sound doctrine really means it's the truth of who God is defined by Scripture. 
And then if it's not sound doctrine, it's an untrue representation of who God is. When he talks about myths and fables, they will be turned to myths and fables. The, those, it's a fictitious representation of who God is. In other words, he said, that we set up teachers that we just tell me what I want to hear. And so that's why when we're, when we're especially when we're being driven by culture and not those scriptures, we can, we can have all kinds of things that are saying things to us and maybe making us feel okay about what we're doing. And the Bible says maybe what you're doing is sinful, but there's a, maybe a preacher or a teacher or maybe a Christian author that wrote a book and they're telling you why it's okay. And if it contradicts scripture, it's wrong. And that's what Paul is saying here. We, we, we begin to set up teachers that make me feel okay about where I'm at. And they can even be maybe Christians, maybe have a doctorate. Maybe they sound very important. But if we submit to the Holy Spirit, He will testify of the truth from the Word of God. Notice what Paul is also telling here. Sound doctrine is the Word of God. Preach the Word. So false doctrine is defined as teaching about the ways and the nature of God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit that's not found in Scripture. The Holy Spirit confirms the teachings and the ways of Jesus in the Word. So there's power in the Word. And some people who talk about sound doctrine and they immediately say, well, that's, isn't that legalism? No, not according to this passage. Paul warns us. Sound doctrine is the Word of God and the confirmation of who God is. And so we sometimes make God in this way something that He's not. Something that He was not, was not doing in His scripture. Just how do we arrive at our theology? Everybody has a theology. Did you know that? Everybody has a... They, they, they define who God is some way. Some people will say there is no God. Well, that's a, that's a theology. You're saying it's the removal of God, the absence of God. And then you have all kinds of people that, that, that arrive at a place of theology and understanding of who God is. How did you arrive there? Is it books? Is it Scripture? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? And again, the warning that they would set up teachers, and this is to the church. This is not the world. Teachers that will tell us what we want to hear. Books, movies, preachers, teachers. Now I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room. And this is not intended to be offensive. This is intended to be what Paul told me that I'm supposed to do is, is, is to teach them doctrine. There's a movie and book that dropped called The Shack, and many people read that, and they were touched by it. You know, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a book about, you know, this guy, he's wrestling with God, and his little girl is he's murdered, and he's struggling, and uh, he goes to the shack, and he meets God in three ways, and God the Father manifests in different ways. And there's a lot of people that, a lot of, a lot of Christians that read this. But let me tell you guys, it's a fable, it's a myth, but Paul said it is not who God is. It's not just an innocent movie, it's not just fiction. People derive their theology from it. And that's the danger. They, you know, some people go, well, this is a fiction story that encourages about God. No, it's actually teaching us theology, teaching people theology. Because you have a representation of who God is. 
but it's anti-biblical things about the Trinity. It teaches universalism. It teaches that God's really not a God of judgment, that God is accountable to man. Let's see it all in it. You can check it out. God's not accountable to man. There is a judgment. Yes, He is loving, but He's also righteously just. And He will judge the living and the dead, the Bible says. There is eternal punishment for those who don't belong to Christ in the book, years away from them. And it trickles into universalism. More, there's, there's more than one way to heaven. We have to guard our hearts. We have to walk in discernment. And we have to let Scripture, the truth of who God is, be found in Scripture. Let the Holy Spirit testify of the truth in us. And so, teachers and books and all those things, Paul says, is to test all things. We're told to test it. That's not being judgmental. That's being, using reason. How do we test it? You, what's the litmus test of testing? It's scripture. You can't set up a different, you can't let, you can't say, well, how do I test it and ask somebody else to tell you what it means. That's not testing. Because again, there are other teachers that might say, they might agree with you. We have to test it through Scripture. And I would say this about the book. In the tra- in tragedy, let the Holy Spirit take you. Let the Word of God tell you who God is. Enough of that. But we must adhere to Jesus' description of who the Holy Spirit is. What He does. How He does it. Again, take these down when you see these things that you did. This is the one from Scripture. That we don't give in to fables and myths of who God is. Once again, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Peter said that in Acts 2 38 39, if you repent, repent of your sins, be baptized. In other words, you're giving control of your life to Christ, and he says, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then his, the work of Christ begins, his work begins to make us more like Jesus. And so, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he begins to work in us, and then he works through us. There's some passages of Scripture that reveal his work, and we look at a few First one's not up there, but remember right before Jesus ascends to Father in Acts 1, he says, go to the upper room, and he says, when you get there, he says, wait for the promises coming, and you will receive power. Power to what? He said, power to be my witnesses. Right? Power to be my witnesses, to testify of Christ. And what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? He testifies the truth. He testifies of who Jesus is. And so now the work of the Holy Spirit in us testifies of Christ's work in me. So when people see what's going on, what happened to you? They knew the old you, but now they're seeing the new you. And, and it's not that you've arrived at perfection, but there's something kind of different. What happened to you? That's the work of the Holy Spirit testifying of the work of Christ in you. You will see power to be my witnesses. And so it's witnesses of the work of Christ in me and then, and then through me. And again, all the work that the Holy Spirit does in and through us ultimately points people to Jesus for the glory of His name. First passage that we're going to look at. Romans 8, and sometimes in your Bible, they'll say life in the Spirit. What does it mean to live life in the Spirit? Let's look at this passage. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, Paul writes. 
But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting a sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. What does he say? For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. What's he saying? There's some words, right? Sinful nature. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. When you're living for yourself, in other words, you're in the driver's seat. You're in control. I'll do whatever I want to do. Maybe God's convicting and I'm putting that off. And, and he says you can't please God, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Verse 10. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, that's really important. Paul says you're going to die because of sin. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies for the same Spirit living within you. So this is the work of the Spirit in us. When we're controlled by the Spirit, we don't have to be controlled by our sinful nature. And so he, several times, in several places, Paul writes about that battle in our hearts. And it's the description in this passage. And so, it's, it, it, so he, what he's saying is it's not this perfection. We do sin at times, but there's a distinction. Are you controlled by the sinful nature or are you controlled by the Spirit? And the, and, and the distinction here is it's not that you don't have rest in it, not that you don't struggle at times. But what is your response to when you struggle? Is it to quickly say, God, forgive me. I want to be in the right relationship with you. I'm going to turn from that sin. I'm going to continue to walk with you. Or is it to justify the sin, keep walking in the sin, make excuses for the sin, set up teachers to tell you that the sin is okay? See, that's what Paul is going to do. You have to be controlled by it when you're walking in the Spirit. And so letting the Spirit control you is your mind and your life. And that means, what does that mean? Again, when I talk about praying to the Holy Spirit, submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit every day. Get in control. That's what Paul's talking about. Who's in control? Who's in control of your life? You or the Holy Spirit? And that's when we say, Lord, Holy Spirit, I want you to have control. I want to walk with you. Even when I blow it, I quickly repent. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you as well. You're responding to His conviction. And that's the key to not being controlled by sin. And so, as verse 9, who's control of your life? Is sin controlling you? If sin is controlling you, you may want to evaluate and check your heart. And I would say, let today be a day that you respond to the Holy Spirit and surrender your life to Jesus. If you're being controlled by a life of sin, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. That's what, that's what he's saying. Not again, not that you don't maybe struggle at times. But if you're living and you don't, and you're just pushing away, and, and I, I really do want to live for myself, you have to examine the heart. And then verses 10 and 11 gives this glorious promise of the Spirit. Christ lives with you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life. He makes you alive because you've been made right with God. And the same, the Spirit of God who raises from the dead lives in you. So we all die because of sin. 
and I'm talking about originals, and I'm talking about at the fall when, when sin came into the world. When God created everything, it was good. That's why when we remember what he would say, let there be light, and he would create something. What did he say? And he saw that it was good. It was good. When God does it, it's good. He creates, it's good. It's as it should be. Then we have the horrible story of Genesis 3 when the, the people that are on earth, God didn't create Adam and Eve because he was lonely. He created them. He loved them. There was a plan and purpose to bring them glory. He put them in the garden. He gave them free will. He said, don't touch this tree. And where do you see them? They're hanging around on the tree. wonder why the kids touch the tree. And they ultimately, they, they sin. They disobey God's commands. And, it, and the world began to be corrupted. In all of Romans 8, you can see where Paul is describing the corruption. Which the earth groans, we groan, we die because of the sinfulness. Man was intended, we, we, we were intended to live forever, even physically. We will live forever spiritually. When you die from this earth, and you need to understand, we will all die, we will all stand before God face to face, and we will give an account of what we did with Christ, what we did with His work, what we did according to the Scripture. Not according to ourselves, not according to being a good person, a moral person. What did we do with Christ? And so we all die because of original sin. And that sucks to things. And Jesus did when He came the first time. He came to set things right spiritually. And one day He will return and He's going to make things right again. It will all be good again because he will eradicate the world of sin. There will be a judgment. The earth groans, we groan, we we suffer. And so the work of God in us isn't primarily primarily the miraculous intervention healing. That's not the primary work of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit works in our mortal, broken body. He does outward miracles at times, but that's not his primary work in us. So I believe that they are more few. His miraculous work is to be seen in us and through us as a transformational testimony of the work of Jesus. So even when our bodies are fading, even when we, as we can see people that, you know, and we'll talk about like Johnny Erickson Tata, paralyzed from the neck down, and she's wrapped with pain every day, and she's asked the Lord to heal her for years, and, but she says, you know what, what God is doing in and through me, and she touches thousands of people across the earth all the time. It's the pastor that I mentioned that he said, you know, I know that God didn't give this to me, but I'm stewarding it like a gift, this, this, this disease that I have, and people were coming to know Christ because they saw the Holy Spirit's work inside his broken body, and now he's with the Lord, and he's pain free. And he's rejoicing in the presence of Jesus, miraculously healed. So the Holy Spirit gives us strength and power to testify Christ when things are good or bad, when I'm well or when I'm suffering. And a lot of times what we think is that making me well is the best way God can get glory. And it may not be that way. Because we can't put our spin on what God's doing. We can ask for it, and sometimes He does. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. If we should, we should pray, and we should believe He can do the miraculous. But that's not His primary work. And that's why I think it's more few. Because the disciples got this. They understood this. 
He didn't regroup their pastors. Remember when they, they were all pastors, they were all tortured and killed for their faith. They didn't rebuke their captors or claim their freedom in Jesus. So they understood what Jesus was saying to be a testimony of His work and His grace. That's why a lot of Christians in the third world, people that are being persecuted, they don't they, they can't wrap their minds around some of the, the word of faith thought that if you just name it and claim it, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. It doesn't even equate. These people are imprisoned and they are being tortured for their faith. They don't look at God like that. They say, let me be faithful even unto death so that many can come to know Jesus. Even if I die, I'm ready to go. I will be here. And the disciples understood that. They didn't look at their captors and say, you let me go in Jesus' name because this is not God's will for me to be here. They understood. If it's my time to go, Jesus, I'll see you in a couple minutes. What a beautiful thing. Crucified upside down, tortured in unimaginable ways. I'll be there in a minute. Either he's going to go, he can laugh to save me, or I'm going to be with him either way I win. They trusted Jesus, knowing that he would be with them soon. Going through earthly stuff that doesn't make sense, even in our world. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus, testify the truth of who He is. No matter what our situation or circumstances, He can be seen. That's why when you see people and they're going through all kinds of things, and you go, why do you, why do you have to you see, wow, what is the deal? I'm happy because Christ is with me. Does it make it, does it make it less difficult? Is it the, the work and the power of the Holy Spirit who is pointing me to Christ at my most vulnerable moment? That's the work of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit. Because it doesn't make sense. You know, the cross didn't make sense. That's why the disciples here on that moment, they fled. This doesn't look like victory. If you were watching on and you watched Jesus be scourged almost to the point of death, beaten beyond recognition, and then hung up on the cross, none of us would be sitting there thinking. Now, we know the rest of the story here, but if we're there at that time, that doesn't look very victorious to me. That looks like we got really beat bad. Looks like our team lost. But that's why the work of the kingdom of Jesus is different than our kingdom. It's different than our mindset. Because the thing that looked like it was going to be the greatest defeat ended up being the greatest victory. It is finished. We are saved. We are set free. Our sins are forgiven. And we have a hope for eternity because of Christ. And the greatest defeat became the greatest victory. That's the work of Jesus. So that's the, that's, the, that's the primary work in us. And then he does work through us, too. And I, I love that. And I'm not going to, a lot of you know these passages, you can look them up, but, but he gives us spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, possibly that we just desire spiritual gifts because that is his work through us. Now, again, first he wants to work in us. So that he can work through us. And the working through us is the gifts of the Spirit. Once again, the gifts of the Spirit are to what? Testify about Jesus. And so in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, you have these list of gifts, spiritual gifts. Some of them are like more practical day-to-day, like serving and giving, 
hospitality that's on this club. And then some are more in the supernatural realm. And they're all supernatural because of the work of the Holy Spirit. But they're words of wisdom and knowledge. Like when we have guys get up and they give kind of these prophetic words or words of wisdom and knowledge. And, 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 and it's, it's all the information and God impressing it on their heart and giving you this message. And, and so all of these gifts, we should desire them, but we should use them for His glory. Testifying of Jesus, testifying of the truth of who Christ is, to bring glory to Him. So that what when, he, when He's doing His work in us, spiritual gifts aren't about you and me. They aren't our identity. And, that's, and that can be a wrestle sometimes because you, you know people can get their value and their gift. Their spiritual gifts, you know, whether it's, you know, up here talking or whatever, and, 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 and it happens to pastors a lot because it's a public ministry of, I get, you know, you get your value and validation. How trouble is that? Where your value becomes in being the gift, but I want to live in such a way as, is, is Jesus for your glory. I'll do this for as long as you want me to, and I know that there's a calling for me to do it, and I want to do it faithfully, but if you want me to stop tomorrow, I want to be willing to do that. Because if you're calling me to do something else, something else will bring glory to you. So the gifts aren't about us. They aren't our identity. They shouldn't be where we get our value. They should point people to Jesus. That's why in Revelation says the spirit of prophecy is a clear testimony of Jesus. So if it's not testifying of Jesus, something's wrong. If people are talking about you and your awesome giftedness more than they're talking about Jesus, you have a misplaced spiritual gift. If you feel like I have to do this or I have to do that, that's a misplaced spiritual gift. We want everything to the glory of Jesus in our lives. So this week, our response, and we'll look at that. Last week, I talked about Ephesians 5, where it says, Be filled with the Spirit and be drunk with wine. That does not mean be drunk in the Spirit. That's, that's not biblical idea Paul is talking about not going to things that alter you go to the Holy Spirit for comfort. And then in Galatians 5 he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to close with this today. I want you to hear how he's describing being filled with the Spirit walking with So I say what? Walk by the Spirit. And it means that we one one translation said we could be in step with the Spirit. Where the Spirit goes, where you lead me, I will follow. Where you're taking me, I will go. Maybe sometimes into hard places. That's what estimating the spiritual life is to be in step of walking in the Spirit, be in step of the Spirit, listening to His voice. Oh, I'm veering off. That's a simple thing. The Holy Spirit, I'm going to listen to you. I want to do it your way. I want to testify to Jesus. Walk by the Spirit. And then what does He say? And He will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So we just sitting a little bit like Romans 8, where we have that wrestling in us. We're in conflict, and it's a very conflict with each other. So that you don't, you are not to do whatever you want. That's not being led by saying you doing whatever you want. That's like in the book of Judges, that people were doing what was right in their own eyes. That is not walking in the field. You don't get to make the rules. The scripture, the truth of Christ, is where it's found the scripture. That's where we find how we're supposed to live. So you don't live, you don't do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he gets very practical. He said that the acts of the flesh are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. And a lot of times, you know, we like to stop at number one, sexual immorality, because we can talk about those people and not look at our... our but listen to what he, he keeps talking. And, and uh, now listen to what he's talking about. He's, he's not talking about the world. He's talking to the church. Discord. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what is he saying here? Again, it's not that. When we go Romans 8 for just a second, life in the Spirit. Does it mean that sometimes we don't wrestle, that we hesitate, and we stumble and fall? There's a distinction whether being controlled by the Spirit or being controlled by these things. If you're living life controlled by these and your your conscience is seared and you just don't care, and you're making every excuse and saying, well, I, I, I might know it's wrong, or I set up, this is the, this is the, the, the deception, I set up teachers that tell me it's okay. I listened to a preacher or I read a book that told me that I'm okay. Not according to Scripture. And what are you controlled by? And again, the work of the Holy Spirit is that even when we stumble and fall, that we get back up and go again. We get a revelation from you. That's the fourth thing that we get to. When we're wanting to make things right, God loves that. He's not there as an angry, harsh father. He's longing to take you back into his arms and say, I want relationship with you. But you need to understand when you're controlled by these things, you can't inherit God's kingdom. Then he tells us what the fruit of the Spirit. And I like to say, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the proof that you're filled with Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus will crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And he says it again. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So we walk by the Spirit, the battle in us, who's in control? What are you giving control to? And if you're walking by the Spirit, you just, you understand, I'm, I, can't, I, I can't do whatever I want. I can't make my own rules. I can't change the rules to suit me. If we do that, this would go against the truth of Jesus and the Spirit of truth who reminds us and testifies about Him, His ways, His teachings. And again, he goes through those acts of the flesh that, that, that are obvious. And then he goes into Galatians uh, 5, 22, 22, the fruit, the truth of the this is, this is how you know someone is baptized, filled, and walking in the Spirit. Not that they have perfected all of them. And I, again, Paul would always write to overwhelm us because we, he, would, he would point us to our need of Christ and our need of the Holy Spirit. Because he just listens to the love, joy, peace, patience, not that bad Sometimes you understand, but what he's saying is, as you're walking and you're growing in these things, and so a person is filled, baptized, immersed in the Spirit, are growing in these things. That's why spiritual gifts don't prove that you're filled with the Spirit. 
Some people teach that, well, if you have a spiritual gift, if I speak in tongues, that means I'm filled with the Spirit. But what if there's people that speak in tongues and they're mean as snakes? There's a contrast, there's a conflict. It doesn't mean that God gives gifts because He's a good God to work through something because gifts can be misplaced. I've shared this before, you know, that's where how you see preachers, and, and, and it's always the gut-wrenching thing when you see preachers, you see the evangelists or something, and they have a moral failure. And then you find out that you know, the story gets worse, that, you know, embezzling money, having an affair, and they've been doing it for years. All the while, they are preaching the house then. And people are responding, and people are whooping and hollering about their preaching because they can preach good. And then you find out that we're in this other lifestyle. And it's disheartening and it's damaging to the body of Christ. Why? Because you can, you can operate in a gift and not have the food. And you can be far away from God and operate in a gift. And you can lie to yourself and deceive yourself that because you have a gift, that means I'm okay with God. That's not true. According to Scripture. So what has control of you today? Is it the deeds of the flesh? the Holy Spirit? Our hearts should be to walk in the Spirit, pray in accordance with the will of the Spirit, and daily live in the Spirit. We step with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We daily surrender and we give up control of our lives to the Holy Spirit. Pray to Him. Make that a part of your day. And then all of a sudden you're going to realize that you're not controlled by your sinful nature. Then you realize that I'm not making my own rules. I'm not living by my own devices. That he's the one. He's, he's made. He's, he's made the standard. He's made the standard of Christ. He's made the standard of the Holy Spirit. That's where I find life. And so I don't get to change the rules mid-game to suit me. That's why in the first the, the first deeds of the flesh, you know, he talks about sexual immorality, and, 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 and over and over, Paul uses that big broad word. You know why he deals with that big broad word? And Jesus mentions that is because it covers a multitude of things. He says, "Here's what sexual immorality is defined by Scripture, and you can defend it by Scripture." Again, this is not other preachers, teachers, books that will tell you what you want to hear. Sexual immorality is anything outside of God's defined purpose of a marriage between a man and a woman. Any sexual contact or lust or thoughts outside of that. Defined by Scripture, given by God, designed by God, of a man and woman, and that's sexual morality. And in our culture, again, we're seeing we're seeing people. Well, does it really mean that? Does it, uh, you know, I don't know much sure about this guy. He's a, he's a preacher. He has a doctorate, and he he's shown that it really doesn't mean it's not true by Scripture. We don't take our cues from culture. We don't take our cues from other teachers that will scratch what our itching ears from here. We adhere to the truth of who Christ is, defined by Scripture. That's not a mean thing. That's a life-giving thing. God loves us. He wants His power and His comfort to testify of who Christ is to a world that's so desperately needs and loves people. That's why he went to the cross. 
So bring to the Spirit. Let Him control you. Let Him lead you and guide you and counsel you and teach you. Let Him convict you. And do it all for the glory of Jesus. And, and yes, ask the spiritual gifts to the work for you. But all to the glory of God. Let's testify of who Jesus is to the world. We do.